Welcome to the Perimenopausal Mamas Podcast for hormonal mamas who want to reclaim their own natural state of health to thrive and raise healthy kids. I'm Dr. Lisa Weeks, naturopathic doctor in Toronto, Canada. I'm a perimenopausal mama to my toddler named Stuart. And I'm Dr. Tony Reed. I'm a naturopathic doctor, birth doula, and hypnobirthing educator in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm a perimenopausal mama to my little girl, Frankie. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not meant to substitute professional medical advice. Always consult with your licensed healthcare provider. Welcome back, everyone, to the Perimenopausal Mamas podcast. Today, it's Dr. Tony and Dr. Lisa. Yay! (laughs) Uh, We're here talking about a topic that may be a part of celebration, but I don't know if you're going to be celebrating after you listen to this episode. (laughs) Cheers will take on a different meaning, I think. (laughs) I think for sure. Um, You know, just recently, there were some changes in the recommendations around alcohol use in Canada. And it really got me thinking, Lisa, um, about really do uh, most women out there know what the impact of alcohol is on their body. And I mean, especially risk of cancer. Uh, It's, it's one of those, those things that is, is tough, because, you know, when I started reading the new guidelines, and and we'll talk about the new guidelines and and all that it means to women, um, especially, you know, when I started thinking about it, I, I started thinking about, you know, our mommy wine culture about how it is so accepted and almost kind of celebrated um, and expected for uh, moms to drink a lot and have this kind of unhealthy coping mechanism. And, uh, you know, really, even immediately, I started thinking about what you've previously shared, Lisa, in previous episodes about um, stopping drinking alcohol and, and going for, you know, long stretches without drinking alcohol and, and kind of what that's me- meant for you as well. Uh, you know, I think about all, you know, especially growing up in, um, in Canada, North America, it's, uh, I mean, very common when we're growing up, especially after we reach the legal age of alcohol consumption, which is 18 here in Alberta. I know it's 19 there in Ontario and and 21 in, in the States. But it's so common to just, again, do binge drinking um, when you're in university, even after university. Um, the times I've thought of when I've, I've been at all inclusives or, you know, where there's an open bar. And it's just for me, like an invitation to just drink constantly or drink almost all day. And, and I think back and I think, oh, my God, uh, yeah, I wasn't realizing the risk that I was putting um, on my body and and to myself doing that. And, and so I, I thought it'd be a great idea to dive in and, and talk about the impact of alcohol on our bodies, and even really start to have this conversation and question why we're drinking alcohol, and when we're drinking alcohol, and how much we're drinking alcohol. Yeah, I think it's a very important conversation, because sometimes it almost doesn't feel like a choice. It's just like something you do, right? You go to the party, you bring the bottle of wine, you have a cocktail, you have your wine with dinner. And I remember hearing, um, 
uh, Melissa Ramos from Sexy Food Therapy. And she was talking on social media and she's like, you know what? I don't drink anymore. And I was like, what? You can just stop drinking? <laughs> like, what do you mean? That's crazy. Like, who would that? Like, yeah, I know. Who would think of that? Right. Like for at like indefinitely, you know, and I do as a naturopath, probably you too, right. Where we do periods of time where we abstain from drinking, maybe several weeks, a month or two here or there. And I'd feel great. And it would make me do different activities. Pete and I would go to a movie. We'd go to some nice restaurants like live raw organic food bar here in Toronto. It just shook things up and shook the routine up. And every time I did it, I was like, Oh yeah, why am I having drinks? And then, you know, I'd start the cycle again. And every time I'd cut it out, I'd go long longer and longer until I came across um, Annie Grace. So she's written a book and she has a podcast, This Naked Mind, but there was this um, program or challenge, I guess. I don't even think she likes to call it a challenge, but it's called an experiment, the live alcohol experiment. It's one month where you see if you can you know, reduce your wine intake, just pay attention to why you want it or any sort of alcohol. And I remember signing up for that. And the information that I got delivered to my inbox every day shocked me. And as a healthcare provider, I thought I knew a lot about what alcohol did to the body. But wow, I was blown away by the harm it was causing. And then it even made me look at what benefit was I getting, you know, it can be maybe 20 minutes of feeling, you know, a little giddy and happy. And then you kind of dip down after that sensation, then you go for the second drink, and you don't get that same feeling, you're kind of chasing that high, if you will, uh, drink after drink. And then, you know, the next day getting older, hangovers were, you know, even just having two drinks, I was like, Oh, my gosh, I can't sleep so well. I'm getting hot flashes as a perimenopausal mama I'm snapping at my partner at Stewart. I just didn't like who I was the next day. So I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so um, March 2021, I guess it was about mid March. I just said, I'm not going to drink for a while. So I stopped and I haven't had a drop since. And honestly, it was hard at first, like going through different holidays, my birthday, New Year's, Christmas. It's like, oh my gosh, I feel like something's missing and you kind of mourn it. But now I don't even think about it. It's like just not something I do anymore. Wow, Lisa. See, I didn't even realize that you haven't had any alcohol for a year and a half now. Well, I'm lying in tinctures. Oh, okay. <laughs> Herbal tinctures have some alcohol, but don't worry, I'm not like chugging the whole bottle. <laughs> Like, here, let me drink this whole bottle of passion flower. No. <laughs> okay, that's a bit different. Okay, so you have had alcohol in like medicinal form, but no wine, no beer, no cider, nothing, no spirits, nothing, no, not no a gin drop. and tonic, no, not nothing. even a taste. People have asked me, and I loved wine, and people would say I had a really good palate. I could pick up the different notes and a really good nose, I should say. And like, oh, here, try it, like, just taste it. And I just haven't. I was like, I just don't want to go there anymore. <laughs> wow. See that, that it's, that's really um, awesome. I love that. And it really like has me asking that question is like, do I need to drink alcohol? Why am I drinking alcohol at all? Mm -hmm. It really is. I, again, it just really is this culture. And, um, but also, uh, you know, especially when you say, you know, coming together or, you know, what happens at Christmas time or New Year's, I do think automatically of how, you know, alcohol is a, a real social um, lubricant. <laughs> and, and that it's just it's often, you know, shared and, and the times when I think about, 
you know, how to enjoy alcohol. It's not necessarily like by myself. It is with friends, with family, as part of a celebration. But yeah, it doesn't really need to be. Exactly. Like, I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, animals do consume some for- forms of alcohol, like through fermented fruit and things, because, you know, inherently, I think we want to change our state, right? We might be in a mood, we might want to feel a little different or look at things differently. But it's interesting when we have to reach for substances, right? We're now realizing things like breath work, meditation, cold plunging, you know, some people are using substances like low dose psychedelics, but ideally, we're able to change our state without these external substances, right? We do have that power and control. Of course, it takes a little more effort because you got to get up and do something or be intentional as opposed to just swallowing a drink and letting that kick in. And yes, that does change your state, but we'll get into how it's changing your state and is it really Mm -hmm. beneficial and what are the long-term effects and manifestations? And then, you know, it, it can be a coping mechanism, Um, There's some funny, well, I don't want to say funny, but kind of disturbing when you think about it, memes about the mummy wine culture, right? So one of them was wine o'clock, wine, because yoga can't solve all your problems. Well, wine isn't going to solve your problems, right? You might temporarily feel okay for that 20 minutes, but then you're probably going to crash and feel worse later in the next day. Um, I saw another one, the most expensive part of having kids is all the wine you have to drink. So that's a common coping mechanism is bringing wine to play dates to, you know, you're treating yourself by having that glass of wine when you put the kids down, because that's the time you have for yourself. But we just want to shake that up and say, is that really nourishing you and filling your cup up? We're not here to judge, but it's here to just ask questions. Because when I went through that alcohol experiment, it was like, why am I reaching for it? What could I do in its place? Would I get better benefits, feel better the next day? Just be intentional around your choices and make them not just as an automatic, this is what I do. Absolutely. And, you know, more and more I'm having conversations and still having conversations with patients um, where, you know, they tell me that, you know, either that they um, personally or they knew of someone else who was starting to have a bottle of wine a night to, you know, to relax, to get through the day as a stress reliever. And, um, and especially, you know, the patients who had said, you know, I realized I was doing this and, and wasn't feeling great and really started questioning what I was doing. I mean, that's wonderful. And it's, it's, a you know, does everyone have that awareness of, you know, really, okay, this is a, you're using this as a coping mechanism, and it is having an impact on your life. Um, and it is having an impact on your health in in a number of different ways. Um, so uh, let's let's kind of look at you know how much, how often, like you know what do the guidelines say, and and even you know what does some of the research say about uh, you know how much does it make sense to drink? Because there is this idea, and and even I think some earlier research that really suggested that you know, having a little bit of alcohol is beneficial. And, and we can kind of talk about, you know, um, you know, maybe counteract that idea. But now we know with more recent scientific research, that there is an impact on your alcohol intake, even uh, a smaller alcohol intake. So, you know, previously in Canada, at least the standard guideline 
for women to was to drink no more than 10 standard drinks per week. Um, and they even had a higher guideline for men to drink no more than 15 standard drinks per week. So, you know, uh, what is that, you know, a drink and a half for women, uh, about two drinks for, for men a day. Um, and now with looking at kind of new esti- estimations and new research around the impact of alcohol as a risk of death and disability, we do know that that increases as consult as alcohol consumption increases. So what we're, what the new guidelines are really looking at is to really look at a maximum of a hundred grams of alcohol per week. Now that is a little bit less than seven drinks per week. And that's both for men and women. And even uh, the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction um, is even looking at, you know, setting thresholds for even a lower amount per day for both men and women when looking at like, you know, lives of years of life lost, but also like disability adjusted life years. So what, what the heck is a standard drink? Because I mean, and again, you'll see those memes and those like, um, those posts on, you know, people having like huge wine glasses and like that's their glass of wine for the day. But, um, and we will, I'll post a, a standard alcohol calculator that you can go to, to, to look at that. But really a standard drink is, um, 14 grams of alcohol. So that's, uh, basically 12 ounces of a 5% alcohol drink, like a beer or a cider or a cooler. That's like a bottle of beer, right? Not That's a like tall a, can. Yeah. Yeah. Not a tall can, not a pint, but, you know, a standard bottle or, or can. And then, um, five ounces of 12% wine. Again, a five ounce glass, not a seven ounce glass, not a nine ounce glass, not a large glass. But a five, but five ounces, and then one and a half ounces of a forty percent like liquor or distilled alcohol, like gin or vodka or rum. Mm-hmm. So I think that's going to shock a lot of people, right? Because you might get when you go out for dinner, maybe the glass is so big you're actually getting two servings, and you're counting that as one. Um, so you really want to look and measure what you're having, um, you know, to just get that awareness about what the actual amount is, because it does add up. And even the percentage, obviously, you're going to get a lot more grams of alcohol per serving and have more of the negative effects. And probably a lot of you are thinking, but well, but there's so many studies about resveratrol and, you know, wine, and it's going to protect my heart. Well, the amount of resveratrol that you actually need to get from wine isn't it like you'd have to drink an insane amount, like there's no uh, you're just going to be causing way more harm than good. So getting it through, you know, supplement form is a, is a, something to consider, but it we're realizing it is a really weak argument. And we're going to go through some of the statistics about the increased risk of um, cancers when you drink wine, and it actually has been shown to shorten your life too. So that was one of my motivations is I wanted to live a healthy life as long as I could to see, you know, Stuart grow and, you know, have all of, you know, his adventures and be a part of that and have my adventures with my partner, Pete. Um, But it's kind of shocking when you're looking at the numbers in terms of years of life lost. So there was an article 
um, by Woods. This was published in 2018. And if people reduce their alcohol consumption from 196 grams per week to 100 grams per week, so that's about 14 drinks of those standard sizes per week to 100 grams or less than seven drinks per week or below. So if they cut their alcohol consumption in half, at the age of 40, they were expected to live one to two years longer. So imagine if they were consuming that higher amount past the age of 40. Um, So it's pretty shocking. And as people get older and they're drinking the higher level of alcohol, it can cut off, you know, four, five, six years of their life. That is huge. That's a huge amount. And, you know, especially when, you know, it's looking at not just a longer life, but again, talking about that, like disability adjusted life years, it's like, you know, aging gracefully, aging healthfully, so that yeah, we can not only see our kids grow up, but actually see our grandkids as well. So and you know, when you look at, okay, you know, that's that's seven or less than seven drinks a week, thinking about again, that kind of alcohol calculator and and what a standard drink is, and especially when we're talking about like wine culture. And, and if you know, you're, you're looking at like, finishing a bottle of wine or crushing a bottle of wine a night, you know, you look at a bottle of wine, which is, you know, 750 milliliters, or, um, uh, you know, 24 ounces. And that and even I looked at my some of my wine bottles at home here, and they're 13%. So I put that into the the alcohol calculator that I'll link to in the show notes, um, where I, you know, I put that amount of wine, the full bottle 13%. And that's, almost six drinks. Mm-hmm. So, so, wow. you know, that's, that's almost like, you know, the, the weekly amount that if I went over, I would really be looking at increasing my risk of cancer, increasing my risk of death. Definitely. And, and, you know, people are thinking, well, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but there is this area now, you know, between where a lot of people think it becomes a problem and and not having a problem. And it's called alcohol use disorder. And more people than they think actually fall into this. And in the States, about 14 and a half million Americans, 12 and older, and that's shocking, 12 and older. So we know alcohol use can start early. I started in my early teens too, before I was of legal age, I think it was about 13 or 14, which is kind of shocking. Sorry if my parents are listening. (laughs) Um, But it's a common disorder. So it's, it's, um, you know, where you're actually using money or not money, where you're using alcohol to cope with, you know, negative emotions, where it may start to be impairing with your job, impair your job, your relationships, um, you know, getting through the day to day. And symptoms could be, you know, you're drinking more or longer than you planned. How many people have gone out and they're like, I'm only going to be out for a couple hours and then you're out till 2am drinking the whole time. Um, Other symptoms can include feeling irritable or cranky when you're not drinking, having frequent hangovers, getting into dangerous situations. You know, I I have been in some dangerous situations and I actually broke my front tooth one time because I was on my friend's back and we were horsing around and I fell over and I broke my tooth. And luckily, you know, knock on wood, I didn't have like, we never would drive or do anything like that. But I know of people who have really injured themselves, um, you know, through falling and having different sorts of injuries. Um, needing to drink more and more to get the same effect. People notice that a lot too. 
maybe not being able to stop once you start thinking about or obsessing over alcohol. Like I think one of the reasons too, for me was, well, I know, was that it started to my life and routines, even with Stuart started to revolve around happy hour. It's like, okay, it's five o'clock. Let's get home. You know, you can play in the backyard. That's fine. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Why can't I take him to the park at this time? Why do I have to come home to have a drink? And I wasn't, you know, drinking a huge amount, but I wanted to have that one, two or three drinks on the weekend. And it started to dictate kind of our routine in our life. And I was like, I don't want that to take over. And I used to be a smoker when I was a teenager. And that's when I quit too. And I was realizing, you know, I had to, I felt like I had to smoke to be able to perform or get through the day. And that's, you know, really important to really recognize that, uh, again, it's that dependence and and that idea of of just like oh yeah i need it and it's not very much well still even a little bit will have a huge impact um even looking at you know your um the the risk um that uh, was just reviewed last year there was a huge meta analysis research study on um the impact of alcohol consumption and cancer so yeah definitely a high alcohol consumption over two and a half drinks a day was linked to almost you know all of the different types of cancers and increased cancer mort- mortality but and even a moderate alcohol consumption of about you know a little bit more than one one and a half to two and a half drinks a day was increased, had an increased risk of colon cancer, rectal cancer, esophageal cancer, breast cancer, but also low alcohol consumption increased the risk of certain cancers. And this low alcohol consumption was anything over zero and about even, um, about a drink a day. So, you know, even that, that idea of, of, you know, keeping it to a max of, you know, seven drinks a week or, or, you know, one a day will still increase your risk of esophageal cancer, breast cancer, um, basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma skin cancers. So it's really something to consider about, yes, uh, you know, we don't necessarily want high alcohol consumption. We don't want to, you know, don't want anyone to be at the level where they're an alcoholic. But even looking at, um, you know, any kind of alcohol consumption, it's really worth asking those questions of, do I need this? Do I need to drink this every day? Why am I drinking this every day? Mm-hmm. That's a good question to ask. And then even just looking at hospital stays and deaths attributed to alcohol, a lot of times we think those are, you know, from higher consumption, like having too many drinks, but more than 50% of hospital stays and deaths attributed to alcohol occur in patients in the lowest drinking category. I was shocked to see that because you think it's the people that are drinking, you know, really high amounts, obviously they're in there too, but over 50% of those hospital stays and deaths were from people having a low amount of alcohol. Yeah, again, really amazing kind of information. And also something that really surprised me that I just recently learned in doing some continuing education with a great colleague of ours, Jordan Robertson. So shout out to her, um, where they actually, um, there's research that shows that women have a different metabolism of alcohol than men. 
So it's not just typically that we as women are smaller, lower weight than than men. So we can't, you know, process our alcohol as well as men, but we actually have a lower activity of the enzyme that breaks down alcohol, your our alcohol dehydrogenase, which then leads to us absorbing more alcohol uh, when, you know, the same con- con- uh, volume, same amount is consumed by women compared to, to men. So it's it's really interesting that Again, as women, it's not just looking at, at the, you know, the, the cancer, um, and the increased kind of risk of cancer, but also like how we metabolize alcohol and how it impacts us as women, especially in perimenopause is different and something to really, um, you know, keep in mind as well when we're looking at, you know, our hormone fluctuations that happen, this is where, of course, our the alcohol that we take in will impact our hormones in different ways. Um, it will increase our estrogen levels and can also so really impact and and worsen that imbalance of estrogen and progesterone as we're going into perimenopause, but also impacting our stress hormones and our cortisol as well. Definitely. Yeah. If you go back to the episode right before this, where we talk about liver health, I think, you know, a lot of women and men notice as they're getting older, they have a harder time processing alcohol. They feel the negative effects. They feel almost hungover even before they go to bed. So there's, you know, the decreased blood flow to the liver as we get older, the liver's processing so many more toxins and byproducts of metabolism and hormones in the body. So it takes longer for your system to clear the alcohol out. And we know alcohol you know, ethanol in the body is converted to acetaldehyde. And that's the basically the poison that makes you feel drunk and you feel it until you then convert it to acetate, which is a source of energy, but it's actually empty calories. And you need to use a lot of good nutrients to metabolize it and get it out of your system. Um, And it's that poison that acetaldehyde that goes, you know, converted from ethanol, um, that disrupts your brain. And that's what gives gives you kind of like in some people feel good. Some people feel really sedated. There's kind of two pathways you could go when you drink alcohol. Some people are just like, Oh, I just want to go to bed or I feel crappy. Other people might get that temporary kind of high. They feel more energized. That category are the people that are most likely to abuse alcohol because they're obviously feeling a temporary benefit. And I came across something interesting too, that if you flush or turn red, when you drink alcohol, you most likely have less alcohol dehydrogenase activity too. So you're going to feel the effects at lower amounts. Um, and everybody can process the, the ethanol at different rates too. And of course it is affected by if you're drinking on an empty stomach, if you're, you know, having it after food, making sure you're getting enough water in. Um, but not a lot of people realize too that that acetaldehyde um, is fat and water soluble. So it crosses the blood brain barrier where some other toxins and chemicals can't. And we know it influences and enhances impulsive behavior, right? You're going to do things that you normally wouldn't do. You can start to become kind of addicted and want that feeling from the alcohol. 
And even if you have one to two alcoholic drinks uh, per week in the long term, you do have changes in your brain that make you more impulsive and more kind of addicted to even having the alcohol at that in quotes, low frequency, um, even when you're not drinking. So you can change your brain outside of those periods of drinking um, to be more impulsive and, and make decisions that you otherwise wouldn't. Um, and then you can give your body about two to six months for it to rewire if you take a break from alcohol or stop drinking so it can rewire so you're less impulsive. Um, but if you've drank really, you know, higher amounts for a longer period of time, your brain may not fully go back to that baseline and you still may show signs of impulsive behavior, addictive behavior, maybe to some other things that maybe you've replaced the alcohol with. So, you know, a lot of people reach for smoking. I remember when I actually quit smoking, I, I started to cross-country ski. Um, so that was something, you know, I became in quotes addicted to. So ideally replacing a behavior with something that you enjoy that gives you health benefits can be um, really good to do. Oh, goodness. And then, you know, thinking about kind of those that impulsive behavior, you know, is when we drink alcohol, it can also worsen our blood sugar swing. So we can kind of feel more hangry and moody, especially if you already have that predisposition like I do. Um, that isn't great when it comes to um, alcohol intake. And also, you know, we mentioned um, how it can worsen hot flashes, it can work, worsen sleep. Um, we'll definitely link in our show notes to, you know, our sleep episode, our hot flash episode to, to kind of get more info on that. But alcohol also will disrupt our gut health and, and disrupt our gut microbiome. So it, it can kill that healthy gut bacteria that we really need to process our hormones and help to balance our immune system. It, will create some leaky gut. So um, again, not great impacts that way. Um, and again, we'll, we can link to in our show notes to our past episode on leaky gut to get more so you can get more information on gut health that way as well. I know. And then, and then we do know too, that when you drink, it's going to worsen those mood swings and the anxiety that can come in perimenopause, right? As the female hormones are dropping your cortisol, the stress hormone, you know, it feels relatively higher, but you actually release more cortisol from your adrenal glands when you consume alcohol, like, and even when you're not drinking, it just disrupts that whole hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So even if you're, you know, the next day, a few days after having some drink, you're probably going to release more cortisol than you would if you didn't have any drinks and you're going to feel more anxious and have, as you mentioned, Tony, the ups and downs of blood sugar and the, the hangry feeling. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, again, it's really key to, like you said, Lisa, look at other uh, ways to help to cope with stress, help with to cope with anxiety. Um, to look at reaching instead of. Um, so looking and, and like you said, you know, doing that cross country skiing, doing that, um, that activity kind of, you know, uh, replacing maybe, you know, kind of one habit with a healthier habit, one that actually really helps to support not only your physical health, but your mental health, like that kind of that cross country skiing, that that exercise and that movement of your body, um, a great thing to to look at doing instead of, uh, you know, it, it's really about looking at, okay, 
Is it um, better to look at other ways of de-stressing at the end of the day to release tension? Is it a physical activity or movement? Is it something like meditation or journaling instead to really, again, kind of process and manage some of that stress? Is it, you know, setting aside five minutes to do some deep breathing or to go for a walk outside or even to call a friend and, you know, to, to laugh and, or to, to vent and just rant to get it out? Um, you know, there's some other options instead of, you know, grabbing a glass of wine or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can take uh, time and and trying different things out. Like, so for mm-hmm. me, yeah, there was I missed kind of having that quick go to to relax. But then it also was, okay, I'm it's Friday, Saturday night, I'm celebrating, how is it going to feel different than a Thursday night if I'm not having some wine or, you know, a cocktail or something. So it's looking at those two kind of instances. And for me, you know, when I wanted to kind of calm down and relax, yeah, it was going outside for, you know, a walk or for a few minutes, it was having a Tulsi tea. It was doing some deep breathing or a few minutes of yoga, right? And if it was, you know, let me, it's, I'm celebrating now. It's like, okay, we can still have that dance party. I can sip on some, you know, kombucha or a nice sparkling water with some electrolyte powder. I'm such a naturopath and some, you know, <laughs> lemon essential oil. In there. <laughs> like I had, I just had a patient who told me he likes to sip on in a cocktail glass, sparkling water with a splash of apple cider vinegar. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I've been having so many women in their forties and 50s come to me and say, yeah, I've given up drinking because I just feel awful. But it is this period of there's going to be discomfort. You don't have your usual either coping mechanism and or celebration reward. Um, So it does take time. But Tony, you mentioned some great alternatives. And then there's more like kind of dry bars popping up in different cities in Toronto where you still get a mocktail, but you're still going to enjoy and savor it without the alcohol. There's a couple of experiential places. So there's a place called Jaybird in the West End where it's like infrared rooms where you're doing, you know, Pilates or yoga, but they also have, I think, like movement and dance parties. There's another place called Othership where they have social events and they gear it towards connection and cold plunging and uh, sauna. So maybe these are a little bit extreme, but there's more and more events that are in quotes, dry, right? Where you're getting together, dancing, having fun, but there isn't that expectation that you've got to have shots or be holding a glass of wine. Yeah, absolutely. I've definitely seen um, different events like uh, sober music festivals that are there. And also, again, this idea that, yeah, you could go to a bar with um, to meet up with friends, um, but not order, you know, your regular alcohol. The last time I met up with a good friend of mine at a local kind of bar and restaurant, we went for happy hour and I was actually surprised to see a whole section of mocktails on the, uh, on the, the menu. So yeah, you don't necessarily have to always order alcohol. Um, it always, and just with you, you saying about, you know, drinking, um, a different drink in a cocktail glass, Lisa, it reminds me of a story from our nutrition prof back in the day talking about how a patient of his switched from, um, from alcohol to actually drinking a pomegranate juice. And he actually ran a bar and he had his own special bottle where when he, you know, when people wanted to share a drink with him, he poured himself this pomegranate juice from his special bottle and had a drink with them. But, 
you know, didn't actually talk about, you know, what was actually in his glass. So there's so many different ways that we can switch that. So yeah, we could look at, you know, using our wine glasses, using our or using our margarita glasses or our martini glasses and having something else in it and still having that um, kind of celebratory uh, impact and, and feeling from it. Yeah, that's a great example. And some people do resonate with non-alcoholic wine, non-alcoholic beer. Some people just just want to kind of cut that out completely. So there are options out there. But yeah, that's a great idea to just like treat yourself with something you're going to enjoy that doesn't have alcohol in it and sip on it and savor it and still get that experience. Absolutely. So yeah, you know, there's, there's ways that you can be alcohol free. And there's also ways that you can just be really mindful of your intake and really think ahead to different events and activities where you may be getting together with friends or family where alcohol is just a given and look at the choices that you're making. You may still want to enjoy a gin and tonic, but then you can really, you know, increase the amount of tonic, increase the amount of mix. Um, you know, again, have a small amount of vodka, but have, you know, a higher amount of soda in it so that you are drinking less alcohol overall too. Mm-hmm. That's a great, yeah, a great way to do it. And then just being intentional, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to savor this many drinks. If you're choosing to drink alcohol, having a glass or two of water for each glass of alcohol, and just really paying attention to how you feel. And like, yeah, is this is this working for me? Is it not? Am I trying to avoid feeling behaviors? So just having that awareness is is so powerful. Awesome. Okay, so Lisa, are you ready to switch gears and talk about our super mom moments and our mama mess ups? Definitely. Let's do it. So Tony, what's your super mom moment? Well, my super mom moment is thankfully a bit of a switch from a previous mama mess up that I'd shared. I was um, really noticing that Frankie wasn't riding her bike as often. And she used to always ride her bike to, uh, to go into day home in the morning. And then we bought her a new kind of big girl bike. And it was quite a leap from her strider that she really loved to kind of bomb around on versus this big girl bike. And so we were out at a park and this was just yesterday. We were out at a park enjoying the fall weather and noticed that there was um, a bike there at the playground from one of the kids that had a little handlebar at the back of the bike, you know, behind the seat that just kind of stuck up from the wheel. So it was a little helper balance bar. And I saw that I thought that would be the perfect way to really help her transition and even help her to practice being on her big girl bike without, you know, having us have to lean over and kind of (laughs) wrecking my back in (laughs) in the process. I think that was probably, you know, even a big piece of of what was really, um, you know, creating a lot of hesitation between me and my partner to really help her on the bike is like having to lean over and help her balance. And I and we really didn't want to, um, you know, resort to uh, training wheels, not that again, training wheels are necessarily a bad thing. But we just saw how, you know, 
Frankie's balance on her Strider bike is amazing. Like she can just go down hills and zoom down and, and be really fast. So she had no problem with the balance piece of it. It was just a matter of getting used to this like kind of different, bigger, heavier bike. And also, you know, actually using, um, you know, the pedals and, and putting her feet on pedals. So we, Found the bar, we got the bar, yay Canadian tire, and um, <laughs> Davin put it on her bike. We went out and, um, you know, she again went down a, uh, and uh, and used that, her big girl bike on, you know, uh, we went for a block and it was like, it was a big win for us. And, uh, you know, a big win for me to be able to really like, again, find something that will really fit and to really have everyone get excited about this transition to her big girl bike. Amazing. I haven't heard of that. So that would have been useful. Yeah, Stuart had his like balance bike or strider bike and he was doing well. And then we actually transitioned him to his big boy bike. And I was wanting to hold on to the bike more than he wanted me to. And he he got it after a few tries. I was like, whoa, okay, great. Because I thought I was going to be breaking my back too. So um, yeah. we started him a little later than Frankie. But yeah, so I'm, that's good to hear there's other options out there to learn. But that's definitely a super mom moment, Tony. You came up with a solution so you wouldn't have to keep going to the car get acupuncture yeah. exactly <laughs> now you can go because you want to not because you have to exactly and know what maybe i'll even put a link to an example for people out there so they know exactly what i'm talking about because nice. it was great to be able to see it on another kid's bike to actually know that that was a possibility i hadn't even known that was a possibility until seeing it so nice yeah now lisa i know you're an amazing mom and is there a mama mess up that you can share with us? There is. Yeah, I've been kind of buried under emails. I'm not at the, you know, inbox zero or anywhere close to that. And, you know, it's starting to ring true because I haven't been reading the school emails. So I didn't realize that the other Friday they were doing the Terry Fox run at Stewart School and that parents could come and watch. So on the Monday, um, he told me about the Terry Fox run and he was saying how there was other parents there. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that we could go. So I felt just horrible horrible. So I'm going to start reading the school emails and get well versed on what's going on and do my best to attend the virtual parent student council meetings. Although, you know, seven to nine a zoom meeting uh, on an evening is sometimes the last thing I want to do is be on the computer any longer, but um, I'm going to do my best to stay on top of what's happening at Stewart's school. Ouch. Yeah. A seven to 10 zoom meeting doesn't sound great. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, being able to pick and choose what you can, uh, can, you know, take part in and participate in would be great for you, for you to for do that. Sure. Yeah, luckily, they do like a Friday, you know, summary email of everything that's going on. I just haven't even been reading those. So I kind of dropped the ball, but it happens. We can only do so much at one time. It, it totally happens, Lisa. And, and good to, to recognize and just even, you know, have that intention and aim to, to get back into it. Definitely. <laughs> So now, Lisa, what's your mama must have for the week? Oh, yes. I, I found um, I was in a networking event and a woman from 20 did 24 gooddeedsca So it's the number 2424. Interesting 24 for the topic for today. If you're in Canada, that's a, you know, case of beer, but 24 gooddeedsca And they have a charity advent calendar. You can get it delivered to your house. It's only $24. It looks like a stand up kind of 
3D cutout Christmas tree. And behind every door that you open each day, you know, leading up to Christmas in December, um, you'll see um, what projects or what um, charities you're actually helping with your donation of $24. So you might open one one day and it's saying, you know, because of your donation, a child in Pakistan has gotten, um, you know, like a they're amp- they have an amputated leg, so they're going to get, um, what is it called? I'm forgetting the name right now. Oh, <laughs> they're going to get prosthetic. the prosthetic. Yes, the prosthetic that they need so they can walk. So every day you open up um, one of the calendar doors and you see something like that where you're helping, you know, to feed a hungry child or helping someone who might be disabled. So there's different charity projects that are supported within Canada and around the world from you getting this um, charity advent calendar. And then they give you an update on all of the good deeds that are being done because of your donation. So I can't wait for that to be delivered. We're still going to do, I'm, you know, I made a homemade advent calendar last year. We're still going to do that with some goodies in there and toys and candy for Stuart, but he's also going to open up um, a door each day on this 24goodDeeds.ca charity advent calendar. That sounds amazing, Lisa. That sounds a great, sounds like a great addition to, yeah, like, you know, the advent colors that that you would do otherwise, but just another one that uh, can be really nice and heartwarming too. That sounds awesome. Awesome. So check it out for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my mama must have for this week is, you know, I would recommend doing what I did on the weekend, get outside, this weekend, enjoy the change of season, enjoy the fall colors at a local park. Um, again, if you can get outside um, and have an adventure from where you usually live, that's great. But you can just even enjoy some green spaces or, you know, yellow, orange, red spaces that they would be now. Um, and uh, And to be able to enjoy that before winter comes. I love that. Yeah, it's already the leaves are changing. It's just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. So now let's go through what else is happening with us. Um, again, my next hypnobirthing session for expecting parents looking to in- decrease their fear and anxiety and support their natural instincts around labor and birth is happening soon. So join me. You can go to hypnobirthingcalgary.com slash register. And Dr. Lisa's Wild Collective Masterclasses are happening this week. Enrollment is open until mid-October. So come find out more about this revolutionary and international program. Lisa on Instagram at drlisaweeks.nd and link to the masterclass in her bio. And we can also share the registration link in the show notes or again, more info on how to get there too. So thanks so much for joining us this week. Again, you can find our show notes at perimenopausalmamas.com. You can email us, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love for you to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can also support us by visiting our Patreon page. And you can tell your perimenopausal mama friends about us too. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Until next time. Bye. Bye.